0: It's Tuesday, July 3rd, 2018, and you're listening to Episode 488 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 48 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan.
1: This is Aisha. I'm Still Wayne. <laughs> and my name's Chad.
0: Today's topic, we're going to talk about D&D. D&D. No. We are. We're, talk- <laughs> we're going to talk about fair play NPCs and fair play PCs might come up a bit here too. But before I explain what I even mean by fair play NPCs and PCs, there is a huge boundary we're going to put on this topic. And the reason we're doing this is the metaphor I used before we started this recording. At the start of Caddyshack, they had a problem with the groundhog putting holes in you know the greens and the fairways and such. By the end of the movie, the problem that they had was not the groundhog, it was the amount of damage Bill Murray was doing while trying to get the groundhog. On the other side of this metaphor, so the interpretation of this little parable, is that's what D&D does to our hobby. <laughs> D&D
1: has rabbit... <laughs> not, not to our podcast, not to our forums, not to our Facebook. To the entire not to Discord, hobby. To the hobby.
0: Yes. The global hobby of role playing. There programs. are rabbit holes in D&D slash Pathfinder. So the D&D family of games that are already rabbit holes to begin with. Things like alignment, monster behavior, whatever else. And then people love to load them up with TNT and blow them way, way out of proportion to these gigantic craters. So when we discuss this, because of the way that I think this topic would uniquely invite that particular issue... I am not allowing any of the hosts, myself <laughs> included, we are not going to draw at any point. You're not the boss of me. I am for the next hour. <laughs> for our D&D or Pathfinder, we are avoiding those two games or any game obviously derived there from. So we are going to keep this nice and agnostic. Okay, so what do we mean by fair play NPCs? If you look at any non-player character, and we're talking mostly about combat, I guess this could be any form of conflict, but we're talking mostly about combat here. When they walk onto the field, they're going to see, of course, the player characters and any helpful NPCs that are right against them. And they now have to make choices about how they're going to get involved. So are they going to attack the closest person, the most threatening person, the most vulnerable person...
1: You know, who are they? Guard their RP considerations. Precisely. Are there RP considerations? There's a the town guards, and there is one person in the party. The thief will say, "Well, no, no. not this D and D. Well, no, you, anybody you're, can be a thief in any time yeah. in any setting. Right, right, okay. right. So yes, yeah, so it's so, you're in Shadowrun, and there's a stealth guy. Right. Yes, stealth guy who who the cops, uh, Lone Star. That's it. Yeah, Lone Star, Lone Star Security is coming to arrest. And they're going to ignore everybody else. Right. So you've got
0: an Elvin Decker in the back hacking something. Right. A You've got... The, you've got the, <laughs> yeah, of course. You've got a big troll up front. You've got a Weymick, which is totally in every setting. absolutely. So uh, a Skies of Glass Weymick. Yes. Yes. That has a really <sighs> terrible taste in my mouth, but continue. Yeah. And... It who, would be a GC. Who do they mess with? So a Game Master... When they're looking at this, how do you decide who you're going to go after? One of the things that we were talking about was we used to play the board game HeroQuest. And there was one guy that would run it, and when he ran it and he played the monsters... He would make it really fun and all colorful and yeah, crazy. Had funny
2: voices. Yeah. and
0: The mummy march. Yeah. The monsters had theme songs that got played out
2: at the time of, of execution. Yeah, and we would really get into it. Yeah. We'd be uh we'd be fighting, we'd be like, stick. Right. But the wizard had a staff. There was
0: another guy that would run it. And okay, putting aside the performance aspect, when he ran it, he would make decisions. That were oftentimes equally omniscient and tactical. Yeah,
1: because so, and in his defense, it's a board game.
0: Yes,
2: it, it's yeah. not
1: a role playing game. It's a board. But game. I, yeah, but, but, but yeah,
2: it's a good. And he was yeah. being. It's unlike some more modern board game. A lot of modern board games, when they have creatures like that, they'll have logic. Right. This will go after this person first. They'll go out, and it tells you what it would do. But HeroQuest was an older game. It didn't have anything like that. Yeah. So. Let's say I'm the wizard that's outside down the hall that has one hit point because he knows that even though this skeleton is in a room and can't see me, the skeleton would walk around the barbarian that's standing in front of him that just hit him to walk down the hall and around the corner to stab me as the wizard because because he could take me out. Exactly.
0: You're killable. Yeah. And the game master knew that or i game master so to speak once this isn't exactly a role i think
1: hero quest actually has a name for the dungeon keeper or something i'm sure it it does
0: like in descent it's i think it's the overseer and so i'm sure it has something it's a little game master screen too yeah you're right i think it does Mm, Well i played it but i think it does
3: i think there's a new generation in that game with um Mm. 3d printed yeah like i believe mm -hmm. games workshop
0: yeah. The rights. To yeah. View. Yeah. Oh, so now each fig is forty
2: five dollars. <laughs> but and... <laughs> they're
1: great. <Yeah. laughs> it's a three hundred and fifty dollar game,
2: but it looks I'll wait fantastic. till miniature market has it for like eighty five. Right. Yeah.
3: And you like draw cards and get equipment, and mm-hmm. the game master or the dungeon keeper or whatever you're draws right. out what monsters he gets.
0: Mm-hmm. I think one of the first things that you've got to ask yourself when you're looking at this kind of question mm-hmm. is what is it you're looking to do with this game are you looking to present something that is specifically a challenge, specifically and wholly a challenge? Yeah. Therefore, are you going to give yourself a sort of metagame level permission to make the choices that are tactical and not in character? I think the second way you can go is say, I'm going to be wholly in character. I'm going to try to play these people faithful to the experience they're having in the world, to their attitudes, to their perceptions so if they know, for example, they're trying to stop somebody from hacking a computer, they might run around the front line to try and take some shots at the guy hacking the computer. That's what their orders are.
2: You know, the first thing that I ask myself when I'm running a combat. What do my NPCs know about the player characters? Right. If they've never experienced them, then they have to go on face value. If this is something where they're being sent after them, they probably have a dossier on each one that knows what the general public sure. knows about them and things. So for example, a group that jumps the, the party and doesn't know who they are, they're going to look and say, okay, the troll is the big, strong one. Right. You know, this woman looks small and weak versus if they have a dossier, they know this woman has a sort of the cross. And right. even though the troll looks bigger, She's the bigger threat. Oh, I
0: thought you were going Shadowrun, and then you went and Dresden did no, all No, I was going Dresden. Right? All Speaking
2: right. of Shadowrun, though, it, it
3: might not even be like a player character they're after if they know there's a data breach. Their orders might be, you put a bullet in that power transformer right now and worry about the people actually hacking yeah. second. Yeah, yeah,
0: that's a good point, too. And I suppose in the third extreme is to be compassionate to the players, that you intentionally send your mooks after the guy who is the big damage sponge, and you forego the softer, squishier backline or whatever, you don't send all of your firepower at the people that can't take it. And as a game master, I think you've got to decide which of these general paradigms is best for your game. Is it best to be tactical? Is it best to be in character? Or is it best to be compassionate? Maybe that's a decision that's not even game-wide. It's maybe something you decide combat by combat or based on a table read. Uh, is the party getting too belligerent? Well, maybe you need to crack down and throw some smart enemies at them. Is the party getting fatigued from getting their ass kicked? Well, maybe you need to lay off them a bit.
3: And continuing with like the Shadowrun example, you can even keep it with an in-character excuse like, well, these guys are ten times more tactical. Yeah, that's because they have readouts and a mini-map and active communications with each other. They can see each other's vitals. They can see each other's ammo. They don't even need to speak. They just know where each other are. I think, and that, well, yeah. I think that
1: to take the Shadowrun example, it's do you want your combats to be a seamless part of the narrative? Or do you want to have a cool scene or a tactical scene? So uh, a cool tactical scene is, you know, you've got your Decker in back. Lone Star's come to arrest them. Decker's got his crew there. And then they they show up, and they're like, okay, let's get this on. And then, like you said, they're shooting at a power box. They're going after that guy. They're You know, it's this tackle thing. But as part of the narrative, you can tell so many more interesting stories to me. Like, they're going just after the Decker and back. But the big guy up front is an orc. And guess what? Lone Star's racist as f***. And they're like... You know what? That Decker's not going anywhere. Time to uh, show this guy who's boss. And yeah, we got the, the back
3: covered. Right,
1: yeah. right, and uh, yeah, they go, they they try and beat his ass, and then that is more part of a narrative. It may be a stupid move on their part, may not be the most tactical thing, but it tells a story and adds to the world. Whereas a, a tactical scene is interesting in its own right it is interesting in that moment it is like you're playing chess or a board game or something like that it is intellectually stimulating and i think that you can interpret and extrapolate story and
2: narrative from it but primarily it is the intellectual pursuit yeah i love when an npc gets pissed off and starts making not, I don't want to say suboptimist it starts making bad choices yeah. because they get narrow vision. I, mean, I love that when yeah. you can piss off an well, NPC. Let
0: me give you a scene here. Imagine for a moment you walk into a room, just completely blind. You walk into a room. There are three people in there that want to hurt you for one reason or another. Now, there is one who is their leader who, if you take him down, the other two are going to falter, and he's a lot easier to beat up, but he's not the one that's charging you right now. What's the psychology here? You're going to have to deal with the guy that's charging you first. You know, it, it takes a really solid grip on the situation and an unusually non-instinctual mind to just sidestep the front guy to go after the weak guy and back. Yeah. Could you make that argument for certain enemies or in certain situations? I think you could. But if you were trying to keep some kind of narrative consistency to this, Because let's remember that NPC stands for non-player character. And so if you're treating it like a character, I think you do the best service you can, and this is usually my choice, is to try and see this from inside their head. To try and see what they see in the situation. And one of the things that I hate, because to me it's effectively GM cheating, is when they get that omniscient knowledge. When they don't just go after the healer because they recognize a healer's garbs, but they go after a healer. They don't even see who's hidden behind a pillar and they have to charge past three intervening people to get there and do all these things specifically because of, you know, no regard for their own life, no regard for their own safety, knowing they will die in the process, but they will deal a tactical blow to the enemy in the process. And I've always seen that as, I mean, without a really good story explanation, to me, that is such metagaming by the GM.
2: There's nothing I hate more than a scene is set up. You have some characters hiding, say, in trees or something. But the moment that combat starts and there are miniatures involved, they're all on the table, so they see everyone. Yeah. Doesn't matter that this person's been in the bushes and hasn't talked at all, they're there, so they're about the target.
0: Well, and the map does introduce its own level of thinking to it. Because if you've got a map down and you start to see things in terms of proximity and position, and if you get within proximity of another mini, it might trigger something, and, and so on and so forth, then it does, I think,
2: start to make the game feel and play a little bit yeah. differently. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Well, and in but... some games, you want that. I look at Battletech. Yes. In the case of Battletech, you have data coming in. Yeah. You have somebody in your ear that is a tactical watching radars and maps mm-hmm. and satellite. And so, you know, I am 15 feet away from this person. You know, they're almost in range. This person is that I can't see is there. You actually can know that 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 person is there, right. even though you can't see them because of that eye in the sky and the tactics going on. And your NPC the, can keep that in the back of their head. Well, even while they're shooting. Exactly, and that's the kind of thing that you don't have when you're just on the field fighting, but you're not—you don't have those earpieces.
3: The three things that I try to keep in mind, because like I mostly run Shadowrun, and most of what I did for strategy originally was XCOM, so I have single shots are boring. Mm-hmm. Enemies will like to fire and burst especially, and you know, as they get enraged or panicked, they'll fire more and less controllably. The second thing is line of sight if they haven't seen someone, or even if they have seen someone, then they don't react or respond to them at all, which prevents omniscience. And the third thing that, like, especially comes forward when it's less trained individuals is greed. If one of your guys goes down, the NPCs are going to surge forward, not looking for more enemies they want his loot. Mm -hmm. Which can lead to a certain thing where, like, I've had players, profitably for them, feign death. And then they go, oh, they're big guys down, let's move in and mop them up and suddenly they're not taking cover like they should be. Yeah,
0: and I guess
1: greed would be
0: one of those motivators that could be there or not because like corporate security is not going to care. Mm-hmm. You know, they see somebody go down, especially if we're talking well-trained corporate security, they're not They're not going to loot the body anyway. Everything on that body is evidence going to
3: But other runners especially yes. suffer terribly from yeah, greed. Yeah,
0: other runners or someone in the Barrens or something like that. And yeah, you you certainly have a loot motivation now that wasn't there before mm-hmm.
2: one thing i haven't seen very often but i have seen in games a few times is one of your party falls mm-hmm. and somebody goes to pull them back into cover so nobody gets like a coup de gras or anything the most amazing thing i ever saw in that
1: was in our blades in the dark game mm-hmm. where we had played several games we had been in tons of fights lots of adventure that sort of thing and their sort of hideout got attacked, but it was in the street more, not an actual rape. And there was a fight, stuff was happening, all kind of crazy stuff. And then somebody who was fighting Dawn's character, who's this big cutter, I mean, she's like the bodyguard of the group, right? And she can just rip people in half. She's the toughest person on the crew. And she's fighting somebody, and I had him shoot her, and it just blew the roll. And he took her out. And it was it was like this, tonal shift it was amazing it's like ha ha we're Swashbuckling, ha 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 and then it was just boom oh my god and then i just described this scene where everybody's fighting and you just hear a bang and you look over and there's dawn's character and she grabs her gut slumps and falls to the ground as a guy with wide eyes backs away from her with a smoking gun everybody fucking stopped Everybody looked at that guy, and he had the worst day of his very huh. short life. <laughs> <laughs> and it was wonderful. It was so good. What I like to do when I have combats, not combats where the players are in not a pub, but a bar sure. in Seattle in the future, because it's not D&D. And they start a fight, it, it, not that, you know, not something that, that they engage because that's, that to me, that's their business, you know, and I just present what's going on at that point. But what I like to do instead of just saying, okay, the tone intention is this, so now we need a fight to bring the tension up, which is valid. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not downing that. That's valid because yeah. you have to control those knobs of tension. But what I like to do is the enemies coming at them have a plan, and the plan is rarely Murder the f*** out of the players. Because that's a boring plan. But this one game that I did, that, whose name I won't say what the game is, sure. had, uh, you know, the players were in a camp in the future in the Rockies, and they had horses and a wagon Winnebago, and they had a box full of credit cards. In- you were playing Oregon Trail
3: 2052?
1: I was. And so anyway, they were being attacked. And they don 't know what's going on, you know, make some rolls and stuff, right. spots them in the middle of the night. everybody's asleep. You have one guard, and she spots them well, so what that is is a feint. The attackers want to get their attention, get them focused over there they 're hiding out in the dark. that sort of thing, and it worked and they 're going away from the Winnebago and the box of credit cards. so the other team, the other part of the attackers that they didn't know about, hit that objective. The objective was not to just attack them. the objective was multifold in that. Well, my objective was this is part of a larger story. There is a plot MacGuffin and now there's a faction interested in it. And then they got it. So that started an adventure and it showed that there was something more going on. And then it also displayed the intelligence of these totally shadow run goblins <laughs> and that they're not smart, but they're cunning. And I was able to, they, they could plan tactically and stuff. Yeah so that they later on they can engage with it. I think that's a a fair point, is three of the
0: things you ought to look at if you want to do this from an RP approach, which is my my preferred approach. What's the plan slash what's the goal? Okay, what is it they're trying to achieve here? And what general framework or set of priorities do they have by which they're going to do it? Secondly, what is their intelligence level? How well do they even understand the situation? And then third, how flexible can they be as the battle unfolds? And how much are they going to respond to things? For example, one of the things I tend to do is, in many of my comments, Tex and I came up with this term back during our heyday of Battletech. We called it agad. What agad was is it's as good as dead. So we have a target where technically the target is still in play, but the target is so messed up that, okay, watch out for the kicks, but you can basically otherwise treat it as dead. This is a... 30-25 Thirty twenty five 25 Warhammer missing both the right and left torso and right and left arm. Watch out for the kicks once again, but broadly speaking, it's Those dead. kicks are deadly. Well, <laughs> yeah, especially if you're lying down and they kick you in the head and it's a Thunderbolt, not a Warhammer, and then the Mech ends up wearing Wayne. But, you know, we talked about them being as good as dead, and I tend to do some, most of my games. If they shoot somebody and the person goes down, okay, yeah, they could be trained enough or intelligent enough to say, well, that could be a feigned death or maybe he's going to get back up or whatever. And therefore, we need to double tap the corpse just to make sure, you know, and they go with some Rainbow Six level of training. But I think for most people, they're going to look at the immediate threats. So if somebody goes down and there's at least some evidence they went down for a good reason, they got shot and fell over, are they going to deal with this person? Or are they going to deal with the three people that are still shooting at them? Mm-hmm. Yes, Priorities are going to shift here. Killing this person, unless it's like the wildly easiest shot, and for some reason the three people still shooting are just no threat because of the way cover works or something, well, they're going to deal with immediate threats, right? They have fear. They have things like this. Yeah. Now, I do take a very different approach in Battletech because Battletech, the turns are supposed to take about 10 seconds. 10 seconds between volleys of fire, and yes, I know Battletech is supposed to simulate that this fire is happening over the course of 10 seconds, but if you even look at some of the older rules, like the Slayer 7 dueling rules and such, they actually did work out what the firing time was, what the gap of fire was between these weapons. And they recharge slowly. Some of them really do take 10 seconds between each shot. Where there's, And that's a long freaking time. I mean, 10 seconds to fire a weapon in modern warfare is an incredibly long time. 10 seconds might as well be 10 minutes sometimes. I completely agree. And so they would make decisions, and my enemies do make decisions, that are far more tactical, that are far more thoughtful. And I think there's also a level of psychology there, because yes, they are in danger, you could hit the cockpit, but for the most part, they think of themselves as being inside of this protective metal machine, and it's the thing taking the hits. So risking a few shots to the side to slip past and do something that's more optimal for the team, well, they have time to think about this. They can work off of something more than gut reaction. They don't feel this immediate sense of threat. And so there's a different level of psychology, I think, that's at work than half a dozen people on each side beating each other down, Gangs of New York
2: style. You know, one thing that kind of grows out of this, it's a topic we've talked about before, but let's say we have that situation where it's a street gang that jumps Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. (laughs) The moment they realize they're not dealing with a regular person anymore, that then needs to be a moment where you think, what would these people do? They thought they were jumping four small guys that they could easily wipe out, but now they're dealing with well trained fighters and yeah. mutant turtle men at that <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, where you punch them in the stomach, yeah. <laughs> their plan, jump in quickly, fight that plan's out the window. Are they still going to engage? Yeah. If they are, they're not going to engage the same way. And that's what I like when one of
1: the things I do is I don't take enemies down to zero hit points and they're dead. I mean, it, it happens, sure. I mean, if you, if you blast them when they're blasted, that's cool, but I like to role play out. The enemies getting injured. Now, there are a lot of games out there that have injury, injury rules. They're very specific, and they tell you what to do, and you can pull role play off of that and stuff. But a lot of games, not just the forbidden topic ones, but there's right, a yeah, lot of games... Like that in Roof, where I can shoot you until you're terrified of boats. Right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there is shin kicking. I mean, you just stand there, and then it is a race to see who can get the other one down to zero hit points first. But... To me, I don't have a problem with that abstraction because to me that's a scale, right? You know, it's like you have a dragon with a thousand... I'm sorry. Shadowrun dragon? Yeah, shadow Shadowrun Shadowrun. dragon with a thousand hit points. Well, I think it sells ten wounds. It's just really hard to lay those wounds. Sure. (laughs) And it it does like... You you do ten points of damage to it. It's not a big deal. I mean, it might hurt, but if you have somebody who has 20 hit points, you do ten points of damage to them, suddenly in the combat, I am role-playing them differently i'm they might be trying to run away they might be calling for help they might be trying they might get desperate like wayne said you know it's when somebody gets mad you love to see their desperation in game when somebody gets afraid it's the same thing two
3: things i find are always underplayed by both players and gms are pain and Mm -hmm. panic yeah not fear but panic like my teammate moved and accidentally shot him because yeah. he moved, and I'm terrified right now.
2: Wait, And panic doesn't necessarily mean you run. It may mean... You okay, hunker down. Things are really bad. I'm going to panic by shooting anything they that moves. Watch, yeah. watch aliens. I'm going to
3: throw a grenade real bad. Yeah. yeah.
2: The second aliens
1: movie, man. Here comes the aliens. It's like, come get some! And he's, they're just... Because they're afraid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Instead of taking aim, just let loose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think on the opposite extreme of that, you can get people that are highly disciplined. <laughs> or I'm sorry. Or, they're a Predator. Predator has the greatest example of that. They take somebody out, and then the one guy just unloads, and then the other guys show up and they're like, What are you shooting at? What's going on? Nope. They just they pick out the min- minigun. And they like use every single bullet they have to annihilate nothing. It's <laughs> trees. trees. Notice A whole lot amazing. of trees got shot. They hit shot it once. Yeah, they get it. The yeah, yeah, the they, yellow blood. Yeah, the they, yellow blood.
0: Yeah. yeah, they did hit it. But I on the opposite extreme of that, you do get characters that are highly disciplined. Right. That, like in Predator. Yeah. I mean <laughs> the Predator's highly disciplined it that, are, is. that are highly motivated. Like mm-hmm. Batman. Batman's a great example. He doesn't back down from much of anything. Because mm-hmm. they're highly disciplined, they're highly motivated. They're insane. Mm-hmm. Like Batman. They're mindless to begin with, like <laughs> Batman?
3: <laughs> no, like,
0: like robot Batman. <laughs> yeah,
3: okay.
0: <laughs> they're drugged up. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like drug abusing <laughs> Batman? I mean, no, come on. There's no way he's drunk. not on
1: oxycontin after getting beat up yeah. all that.
2: No, yeah, they're drunk like Tony Stark. No, there you go. Yeah, there you go. You're drunk.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's something that I try to capture in Skies of Glass with some of the IST groups, the insane raider groups, is. You're not dealing with people. That, these are
1: fanatics right. who they have been raised their whole life with this twisted worldview. You go to they don't fight, you're not going to intimidate them because that's what they want. You are delivering to them yeah. the pizza they ordered. Precisely. Yeah. They, these people are
0: screwed in the head. They don't perceive the world right. right. And now the exact flavor of crazy is different from one is screwed to the next, which is why you guys briefly encountered one in the current run of the campaign. Around the, uh, the recycler, rad bears. yeah, the raspberry, <laughs> uh, which, which I threw in there just for you and Brandon. But, uh, but because it's awesome, they have a completely different psychology. It, they're, they're all
1: radiated and they're bears, yeah. yeah well, that should uh, be normal. they have guitars and
3: yeah, there's, like, there's, there's plenty of room between the insane guys that are like cultists stalking around with giant wavy knives and. The guy with a huge axe that runs at you, screaming that he's the conductor of the poop yep. train.
2: I mean, what <laughs> thing yeah. that's fun to play with too is uh, in like a superhero game or a urban fantasy or something mm. where you've got a character that believes they can't be hurt. And yeah. Oh and yeah. And then that's suddenly they, they have. Bl- I'm thinking uh, Doctor Horrible sing along. Oh. Bl- the, uh,
3: I think this is what pain feels like. Yeah, is
2: this pain? Is this what pain feels like? Is this what I've been doing to other people? <laughs> <laughs> and that reaction, I just mm-hmm. that's an extreme example of it. Yeah. But I i would love to see that reaction of, you know, you have the big bad character that's like an incredible Hulk type okay, character. So either- walks in and fights and then suddenly someone hits him with something and he looks down and there's blood and he's
0: like. I think you see great example of that is in a film that I actually watched on your recommendation, I believe. Or maybe you didn't recommend it, but you mentioned it. And it deals with that, which is a movie called All Superheroes Must Die. And if you've not seen it, it's it's a great movie. But I'm going to go ahead and spoil a little bit of it because it's way past its one-year bake (laughs) date. It's been out there quite some time, and we've actually mentioned it on the show before. So if you really want to see All Superheroes Must Die, pause here, and you'll probably have to get off Netflix because it's an indie film. It's not a...
2: Someone wants to kill superheroes.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
3: Spoilers! Well, okay, I'm going to get to... I can't believe you'd spoil me like this. I am going to get to one of the
0: story's major spoilers. So the setup of it is that you have these four kids. They're like older teens, maybe young 20s, who were classmates, who get exposed to... And this is all backstory. It doesn't matter in the course of the movie. They get exposed... We're not not the spoiler yet. No. (laughs) They expose to some meteor that gives them superpowers, and they have a guy who is... He's kind of a supervillain. Now, he has no superpowers, But he's a supervillain in the way that a kingpin would be or something like that. He's just got a large organization. He's intelligent, so on and so forth. And he's been going back and forth with these four superheroes for some time. And somehow he captures them and he figures out what it is that causes their powers and basically gives them an antidote. So they no longer have their powers. And so here's these people, and I forget what they say each of their powers were, but one of them was invincible, and one of them was this, and one of them was that, and whatever. And now all of a sudden they're regular people, and they are in this movie in a horror, in a panic, because of the fact that they don't know how to function or how to fight on regular terms. It's completely foreign to their psychology. Only one of the four actually keeps his head on and keeps moving, and, and
1: what, calls the cops? Like
0: <laughs> us normal jackholes? Well, sort of. He does try. But th- the punchline to it is he never had any superpowers in the first place. Hmm. But because he was in love with one of the girls on the team, and because he didn't want to be ostracized from circle of friends, what he did is when they all started manifesting powers, he's like, uh, oh, yeah, I'm super strong. And he just hit the gym.
1: Yeah. And he just <laughs> got
0: himself jacked. Yeah but he's a normal dude mm-hmm. but he actually got jacked and went out and learned how to fight and he's 100% real <laughs> like he's he is i mean i guess batman or bruce lee or whatever right. you want to see him Super as. training yeah he's just a guy who hit the gym and hit a dojo or whatever and he just got jacked and learned how to fight so the rest of them are panicking and he's like well here comes a bad guy and he just beats him down they <laughs> can like I forget what his name is, but whatever superhero name. Why didn't you lose your powers? Why do you still have yours? He's like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm a functioning adult. But uh. it, you see that difference, That's right? That's superpower. Because event. he threw the whole thing. All right, now, they, they don't deal a lot with the backstory. They just mention the backstory during the course of the main story. The story begins with them waking up mm. it, without their powers and all this stuff but
1: saves a lot of special effects.
0: Yeah. It very much is an indie film, very low budget. Well, it's a neat film though, but yeah, it's very low budget, but you know, they t- show that different psychology between people who have been dependent upon and learned how to hide behind power versus someone who has never through this whole thing, not been afraid. Mm-hmm. And so he's operating the same way he always had. Now, how would I deal with that in a role playing game? Well, you can get something where you take down the champion of the enemies. You knock out their communications array. You jam their interlink between their helmets. You do something that shows them they are not as unbeatable as they believe they were. And suddenly their whole psychology changes. Because what's the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? The most fundamental of all human needs, the one we will forego every other need to fulfill in most situations boobs, is tits. <laughs> <laughs> I would, but no, it's it's security. It's security. Security and safety is the very bottom one. That most people, if you're drowning and starving, and there's a life preserver to your right, and a plate of food to your left, and you can only grab one, you will grab the life preserver.
1: Yeah. It's the getting chased up a tree by a dangerous animal. You're starving, you're thirsty, the only way to get food is to climb down the tree, but the animal will kill you. So you stay up in the tree and you starve to death. Or you get really used to eating leaves. Right. <laughs> or whatever the case may be, but...
0: You know, I, you can look at how the enemy psychology might change on the fly based on the things that their reality is changing. I deal with this in Battletech all the time, especially because I deal with the eras where things like saying, okay, let's stop and quit the field. You win mm-hmm. was an option. You didn't have to fight to the death. And they so, would look at this and say, wait a minute, of our four highly expensive and irreplaceable war machines, two
1: are down and two are about to go down. Let's go a war ahead. So, you know, I think that's why... A case can be made for the more narrative combat, not narrative combat in the sense of we're just describing it, not rolling dice, but more in the sense of we're not doing the meta tactical thing. What you said, their world is changing. The players are having an effect on the game and their world is changing. So if you just play the tactical thing, the enemies aren't getting weaker. They're not getting more afraid. They're not getting tired. They're not getting worn down. They're not losing resources. They're not losing motivation. And it is the same sort of tactical fight. That it's the chess game each time, which again is fine. I'm not knocking that because I've run those games. I've played those games and they're enjoyable. But when you do the more narrative end of it, you know, the players can go into a fight and be like, well, wait a minute, we were so afraid of these guys when we started this campaign, now they're pushovers. It's like, yeah, that's because you're succeeding. Not succeeding in the fight. You're succeeding in the game, the story. You're winning the war,
3: not just the battle." Right,
1: and I think that that really gives the players a sense of purpose and belonging and achievement.
3: Yeah, and you have to keep in mind, like, if the enemy is hardened or not hardened, you have to keep in mind, like, in which ways are they used to things happening? They're not scared of gunfire. They might still be real scared of ghosts.
0: Mm. Uh, I just watched a movie about this. I can't think what it was called. It was only a mediocre movie. Spectre? Yeah, the setup of it is that there's a war zone. But then suddenly these things like ghosts start showing up and killing people. And these people who, yeah, they're hardcore, battle-hardened street combatants. Like yeah. they were
3: Delta Force, I think. Yeah, was,
0: they were was some kind of special forces or something like that. If they had it all figured out. And then these ghosts start showing up and killing everybody and it completely, you know, suddenly they're just running in mass panic and whatever, because they're not
3: trained for this. They have never been prepared for this. You're trained to have someone walk into the room and blow your buddy's face off. Right. You're not trained for your buddy to hit the ceiling and then fly out the window without and, anything acting on him visibly.
0: Yeah, precisely. And then you have no idea that any two seconds from now you're going to get turned inside out and whatever. And and yeah you took them off script Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that from a somewhat different perspective i love to do as a player character is i love taking the enemies off script to give them something they're not expecting you know and to see how the game master handles that when suddenly the situation isn't what they thought it would be anymore
3: and as a game master i like especially for longer term games to have the player's actions have unforeseen but also really important effects like they blow up the supply depot so all the people they're fighting now are underfed and or they poison the supply depot and suddenly they don't have that many people to fight against. Just ways to affect the environment that aren't just kill more guys. Yeah.
0: We did that in the most recent Battletech campaign we played where I had an overland map that I laid out. It's like, okay, this is your objective. This is all you have to do. But... Let's say Sonoma Fort. We know they're bunkered down there. We know they've got all these defensive resources stockpiled there. They've got ammo. They've got this. They've got that. But do they have a locust? Because
2: if they have that, (laughs) I'm not in. I'm out. (laughs) But over here is a
0: communications array. Now, if you go attack it, you're going to risk losing some resources. And this is what you know about its defenses and such. But if you knock it out, then suddenly their air support is no longer available or is going to show up less frequently. In fact, over here away from the radio tower, is the actual airstrip. Now, if you take that out, you're going to have to deal with those fighters in the immediate sense, but they won't be present for later battles. Mm-hmm. And so we get if you knock out a water supply over here or divert it or shut it off or something, then you can start to stress their morale. And if you succeed at that, then when you go to fight them, I will give them a penalty on initiative or something yeah, like that.
3: You take out the comms array, and suddenly they can't talk over a mountain. Precisely, and so I would start giving them both immediate mechanical
0: effects and more metagame effects, or not quite metagame, but you know these story described effects that they could pile up, or they could choose to just go straight down the middle and write it. For the, sh- the target. because yeah, you can just go and kill everyone, but these are people who need to eat. Yeah. They need to sleep. And you can deal with that in the situation. What happens when, let's keep rolling with Battletech, somebody gets killed. They're used to thinking about this in terms of the mechs and such. And yes, people do die. Not as often as I've been told it happens in the Battletech video game. Hmm. But it is very difficult to actually kill a mech warrior. But it can happen. And That was something that I tried to deal with in that game, Wayne, where you got killed. Was where it actually spooked the enemy pilot. You know, he thought he was kicking at a mech that was down. He wasn't trying to kill you. He was trying to kill the mech. He wasn't trying to kill the pilot. And so when he killed the pilot, that changed the dynamic. He actually started holding back. Because this isn't what he signed up for. You know, when he pulled that foot back, he was expecting to see sparks and wires, not a torso, a human or so, I mean.
3: Yeah, and if you know, you're a mech warrior, a mech pilot, you you signed up for explosions. And with the knowledge that, oh, mech pilots don't really die that often. They usually just eject or sure. survive. So I wasn't in this to kill people in cold blood while they were lying helpless yeah, on the ground. And so he
0: started, he held back. And when he ended up surrendering to you guys, he was terrified you were going to execute him. Which would have been a violation of the area's convention. But look, people do things when they're angry. And the law doesn't always figure into it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. In fact, I guess to emphasize this, let me spell this out. I had him fight worse. I made suboptimal choices because he was winning. He wasn't doing a victory lap. His success was not the success he set out for. And as a result, it changed the way he behaved and he began behaving in a suboptimal way. That enemy force actually became more predisposed to surrender because of the fact that they had spooked themselves with what they had done. You
1: know, there are people who will say, who will counter what you're saying and say, you do one of two things there. You're either being too easy on people that they signed up for a game, especially a tactical game like Battletech, and you're pulling your punches, and it's easy mode, and why don't you play something easier, you hideous person than you, because I'm an insane person on the internet, I guess. The second thing that they could say is, you are, you could have the other side of the coin, You're too easy on them here. But say they killed your favorite NPC. Well, because you take that logic where it's not purely tactical, but it's this soft sort of meta, non-meta narrative thing that you control. And it's all real just sort of edge cases and stuff. Well, then that means that you could just turn the dial the other way and screw them. You can just have twenty atlases and dragons and wemix show up, and then it's just whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> uh, I
3: mean, you can. That's Weemich, when that's... your players hold you down and beat your ass. But sure,
1: <laughs> but th- there are people who would make that argument. Yeah, it's like right. if so, you are not holding yourself to the tactical aspect. No, okay, of it, and
0: I'm gonna I'm it's gonna cheat it. Yeah, and I'm gonna go back to which I disagree. With. If you're the boot staple, know mm-hmm. thy players. All mm-hmm. right, know your group. I know that the groups I play with in most games are looking for a compelling story not the most challenging possible combat. If I was running a game that was explicitly about the most challenging possible combat, for example, let's say you guys decide in Battletech to play a Slayer 7 campaign. Now I'll explain Slayer 7 to anyone who doesn't play Battletech. It's a martial training ground or proving ground from a long time ago that has effectively been converted into a blood sport gathering place where people go in there and they do one-on-ones, or two-on-twos, or four-on-fours, or whatever. Roman Coliseum. In yes. Acts. And the idea there is to... Get you to buy an in- totally different
1: rule set for a game you already play?
0: Yes. But uh, <laughs> the idea within the, the internals of the mm-hmm. game, not, not the market realities, but the internals of the game, is that people there are trained to make the most strategically perfect choices to get the most damage to take down the enemy, blah, blah, blah. They Now, of course, depending on, they're still individuals. It's not like they're all bloodthirsty maniacs. But these are people who are in it for the spectacle. And they're going to have a very different psychology. They're going to fight harder. They're going to fight in very different ways. The idea that they have killed someone, depending on the person on the enemy card, may not, and by that I mean fight card, may or may not care. Hell, it may add to their mystique to kill somebody. And so it's going to be a very different sort of psychology. There are games of, outside of Battletech that I would run where enemy is going to make far more tactical choices. They're not going to blink because things are starting to go one way or the other. Let's go back to Skies of Class. If somebody from the Carver Clan was just playing around and you're hiding in a pile of, of leaves and they're just swinging an axe around without even realizing it, buried into the skull of someone hiding in that pile of leaves, and suddenly there's blood in the water? They might be a little startled because they didn't know anyone was there. These people aren't going to get guilty and back off.
3: He's just going to go, oh, what the hell was he doing in there? <laughs> no, you're I wonder gonna, if
0: there's more. Yeah, exactly. These guys are going to go. They're going to freak out. And I mean that in a negative way. I mean, like, they're going to go frenzied. You've set them off. It's keeping myself consistent to the story of who it is you know or maybe you get somebody where that's not their first kill it's not the first time they've killed an enemy pilot and they're just kind of numb to it they don't care or they just see it as that's just part of the risk of being out here it doesn't bother them the way it bothered that pilot you know it just it's so whatever this is just how it works out here and they keep going with it but i mean yeah there are games where that's what it's about it's about the strategy the tactics it's about the enemy's unafraid. They don't care. They're going to fight to the last. They're going to make the best choices possible, and that's the correct thing for that situation. But I think to describe that as being correct for the vast majority of battles and the vast majority of games is to misunderstand what role-playing is about because you have stripped away the plane of roles.
3: In your Roman Colosseum of Mechs, you've got Crusher Helga, whose signature <laughs> move is to crush the enemy cockpit.
1: I never understood Slayer 7, because the mechs are so rare, and they're so unique, and most of that equipment you can't manufacture anymore. If you can, there's only like one or two factories, it's just super, super rare. So we're going to have five games a night, every night of the week, and twice on Sunday. And we're just going to meat grinder the crap out of this. Well, that's what
2: makes it worth the bet. Have you ever met anyone that's gone to demolition derbies?
1: Yeah, they're not rolling around in <laughs> World War I vintage tanks. Yeah, They're
0: going to an old Chevy. I think, okay, Chad is 100% right. Yeah, because here's right. the thing. <laughs> Solaris 7 made sense on two ends of the storyline. One was going back to the Star gauge age when Max well, can, could be yeah, produced. Yeah, roll them off yeah. the influence. And so it was a, a martial training ground, proving ground, and they did all kinds of organized things there. So it made sense at that point. And then it does make sense again, I suppose, on the far end of things, where mechs started to get more common again, and factories started becoming more regular, and they got the memory core f- out there, the yeah. Great Ethel Legion's memory core out there, and they started to relearn but the technology. But Solaris had been in there those, the entire yeah, time. But in those middle years when nobody has these yeah. things and whatever, and where, yeah, we're just gonna... if you get
1: your mech shot out
2: from under you, you're screwed. You See, can't get another one. If yes. I were going to do the setting, it wouldn't be the same caliber of mechs. There is a difference between industrial and military. And sometimes industrial can outweigh military just by the sheer nature of what it is. But I would have the mechs be... They would be beaten down mechs that are just constantly being rebuilt... They wouldn't have military-level armor to them. They so, yeah, it would be more, more of a
0: junk mech fight. Exactly. Well, they do actually have rules for patch jobs and junk mechs and industrial mechs and things like that. It would be <laughs> redneck battle tech. But it, well, yeah. <laughs> which is what it should have been, but that's yes. not what Slur 7 was. I mean, Chad's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. It's not what it was. There are rules for what you're describing, Wayne, but that's not what they opted to use. So I think that's where we're going to wrap this one up, but the punchline is there have some sense of what kind of experience and what kind of game you are trying to create. And I think to know something not just about your players but about your NPCs can go a long way into making these combats far more diverse and far more plausible than everybody always charges in the same way and fights until the last. And, I mean, not every battle is as stupid as Eigencourt, (laughs) so... There's one you can Google. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, it was good having Aisha here actually in person. She's down here visiting for Fear of the Con. I'm,
3: I'm an illusion. Don't don't believe this guy. <laughs> so Have a great game and we'll see yeah. you next time.
0: Have a great week. It's like you've
1: listened to this know, a lot. We'll
0: Every week. Have a great week and great games. And we will catch you next time. Yeah, good. see ya.
1: Now you owe me a nickel.
0: This has been a production of Fear of the Boot. Copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at
1: therpgacademy.com/network.